Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this worship service this morning. Sorry, just sort this out. What a blessing it is that we can be here to listen to the gospel of Jesus Christ and also celebrate the Holy Supper. A special welcome to all visitors who have joined us this morning and to those who are joining us via the live stream, possibly even from the other side of the globe. May God be praised by our worship and may we be strengthened in our faith and our understanding of what Jesus has done for us. Before we begin the worship service, the consistory has the following announcements. In order to fill the vacancy for two deacons, Consistory has nominated the following brothers. Renia DeFries, Tim Everts, Colin Klein and John Ophemulen. In order to fill the vacancy for four elders, Consistory has nominated the brothers Sean Brand, Dick Pott, Warner Spiker, Eric Hart, Klaas van Dijk, Martin Visser and Ruben Zanman. The election for the office bearers is scheduled to take place immediately after the morning worship service on Sunday the 16th of October. The consistory as elders only will meet tomorrow at 8pm, the Lord willing, and this morning Reverend Poppy will lead the worship service. Before we begin the worship service, let us sing together Psalm 43 verse 3. rise. Let's worship the Lord. <clears throat> As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. We see the greeting of God, grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to God. We're going to celebrate the power that the Lord has and his willingness to help us. Psalm 18, the verses 1 and 4.
The Lord has revealed his law to us in order to show us his character and also to teach us how to live in a relationship before him and also to show us what, we, what he's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Let's listen to the law as it comes to us this morning in Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your manservant or your maidservant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's now sing together from Psalm 103. We're going to make confession of our sins and also sing of the compassion of the Lord and his willingness to forgive us. Psalm 103, verse 4. Let's now pray to God to ask him for his blessing. <clears throat> Almighty God, Father in heaven, come to you this morning, Lord, to honor you. You are the Lord. 
You're the one who, who has everything in his control. You gave us a new day. You allowed us to wake up and to have energy and strength to come together to meet with you and to worship you. Thank you, Lord, that you give us a day of rest. We don't have to do our regular work, but we're able to set aside that work for a day. We thank you also that you call us to worship you. You bring us into your presence because you wish to speak words of grace to us. You wish to, te- you wish to teach us about who you are and what you have done for us. You want to convince us that you love us. You want to call us to respond to that love by fleeing from sin and walking in holiness before you. Your Father in heaven, we, we confess to you that, that we're so grateful to be your children. It's the best thing in the world to have a relationship with you, and we thank you that you've initiated this. Pray that you bless us in our relationship with you. Thankful, Lord, that, that today you get to remind us of your love for us. We get to hear the preaching of the gospel, and we also get to, to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We pray, Lord, that through your word and sacrament, that you would assure us of the forgiveness of our sins, that we may remember that we are in Christ, and as those who are in Christ, that, that you love us as you love your Son, that you are willing to deal with us in mercy for Christ's sake. Father in heaven, please strengthen us also in the fight against sin. Grant that as we know of your love, that we may also respond to that. Please give us your Holy Spirit, and please strengthen us so that we may love you with all our heart and that we may show that in the way we live before you. Please show us mercy, Lord, for Jesus' sake. Wash away all our sins. Please remind us this morning of your love and mercy to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this morning I get to preach to you the Gospels we find that in Ephesians chapter 6. In the verses 10 to 20, the Lord teaches us about how to engage in spiritual warfare. We're going to look at just the, the first two verses of that. So, I invite you to open your Bible to Ephesians 6. The reading is going to be from the verses 10 to 20, and the text is going to be verses 10 and 11. You can find that on page 1163 of your book of, of your uh, guest Bible. So Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. So the first two verses here will form our text for today. God's word says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times to the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, 
making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So far. Let's now speak of how the Lord preserves us as people through to the end, Psalm 138, the verses 2 and 4. text for the sermon this morning is taken from the passage we just read together from Ephesians chapter 6. It's the verses 10 through 12. There God's word says, finally, be strong in the Lord at the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Well, dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, 
In the past few chapters of Ephesians, the Lord tells us that we have been, since we have been chosen by God and made alive in Christ, we need to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. God has chosen you. You belong to him. And he loves you. And he makes his power available to you in Jesus Christ. And now he calls you to live a life of gratitude and of faith before him. And so he says, you need to be completely humble and gentle. You need to be patient, bearing with each other in love. He says you have to live at peace with one another and speak the truth to each other in love. Those are easy words. But you know, it's a hard calling. It's not always easy in, in marriage or in family life or with people who you work with, you have contact with every day. And the Lord has a lot of other commands. We heard about them. Not a hint of sexual immorality. Flee from idolatry. Flee from, from greed, from covetousness, for these are idolatry. No crude language. Don't get drunk. Obey your parents. And lots of other things. But real life, it's pretty hard to do. Boys and girls, is it, is it easy to obey your parents? And sometimes it's really hard to stop coveting, to quit checking your investments, or to flick through Marketplace, or to check out Pinterest to see whatever else you're going to do to your house. Or you can have good intentions to, to cut back on your drinking, but somehow it doesn't even seem to happen that easy. Or maybe you've tried everything in your power to, to cut lust out of your life, but it doesn't seem to change. Well, why is that? Is it a lack of self-control? Is it just that you need to buckle down and, and work harder? You need a bit more self-discipline? Here in the last verses of Ephesians 6, the Lord says, it's not just about you. He says, you're actually involved in spiritual warfare. There are powerful spiritual be beings who seek to, to take you down and to make sure that you don't make it into the kingdom of heaven. The devil is this very powerful spiritual being and he is pure evil. His intention is to own you. The way he wants to do it is by deceiving you into sin, and gaining power over your life, and using that to estrange you from the living God. And the thing about the devil and his demons, it says here in verse 11 that, he, that they are scheming together against us. And the word for scheme here, it means trickery. It means this cunning deceit that they use to try to attack us and to lead us astray. Well, the devil's been around for millennia. He knows people. He knows how people function. He's been attacking many people over an extended period of time. He knows what it looks like in order to, to find the strengths and weaknesses of a human being. 
And so that's what he does. He, he finds your weaknesses and he seeks to exploit them and to go after them in order to lead you astray. Well, how does he do it? One of the common ways is through temptation. The Bible tells us, 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, that the devil is called the tempter because this is his, his most foundational way of, of seeking to estrange people from God. You know, we know that he tempted Eve to sin in the first place. When Jesus Christ showed up in this world, the very first thing he did, Matthew 4, is he tried to tempt Christ into sin to lead him away from his task. If you read through the scriptures, there's many places where we're warned against temptation. If I can use just one example, 1 Timothy 6, 9, we're warned that he has successfully tempted many people to their ruin and destruction by a love of money. Well, he knows you. He knows your, your childhood weaknesses and insecurities. He knows your family patterns. He knows everything about you, and he seeks to use that against you to tempt you into sin. And then the hard part is that he combines temptation with deception. The devil is a liar. John 8, 44, it actually says that, that lying is his native language. You know, we speak English. Some of you speak the beautiful language, South African. Some speak Chinese or you know, maybe there's Dutch or some other language that you speak. Well, the devil, his language is lying. That's his native language. He lies. It's the most natural thing in the world for him to to tell lies and it doesn't come across as if he's lying because that's just his whole nature. That's a normal thing for him. But the Lord warns us, Revelation 12, that he is the deceiver of the whole world. God warns us time and again that he sends false teachers who will come into the church and try to lead the church astray. And that he also spreads this grand delusion in the world that seeks to lead many people away from God. And so he's actively at work at this. Like, we're in a context today where he subtly seeks to deceive people and lead people away from God. And one of the biggest ways that happens is, is the zeitgeist of the time, the worldview of the time in which we live. You may remember a few months ago, when I preached out of Ephesians 1, we saw that some of the philosophies of our time are actually some of the attacks of the devil. I was preaching to you there that this, this idea about personal fulfillment and satisfaction, that's the, that's the heartbeat of our society. That's the way everybody approaches life. I need to, to fulfill my potential, and I need to leave a life that I, in which I find a lot of personal fulfillment and satisfaction. And in the end, we saw that leads to so much selfishness, to the extreme selfishness, to narcissism. I'll do whatever I enjoy, if I don't enjoy something, then I'll edit it out of my life. And I'll get rid of those things. And so in the end, instead of life being about service, about love for God and love for neighbor, life becomes about self and service of self. Well, it's the basis of so much selfishness. It leads to the abortion industry, to no-fault divorce, to the trans movement. It's the background for so much sexual immorality that we see all around us. If you want another grand lie, a great deception, you could think of 
of the thinking in our society of having an, adopting a victim mentality. There's so many people in our world who, who adopt this mentality that, that I'm a victim, that I've been oppressed, I've been mistreated, I've been abused, and that there's other people who are to be held to account for that. And so who's at fault? Well, they say the, the people who are suffering are often, it's women, or it's transgender people, or it's homosexual people, or it's aboriginals, or it's any others who are subject to oppression. And so those who are at fault are, are the government, or police, or it's, it's men, especially white privileged men, or it's large, large corporations, or it's the church. Well, part of it is that there's this grand delusion where you seek to get rid of you know, these, these terrible white males and their Western civilization. And really what stands behind it is you have this woke movement that wants to rewrite history to say that Western civilization is a terrible development that's led to great oppression for many people in Western society. Well, they don't understand you know, at the end, Western civilization is really grounded in biblical thought. It's grounded in the scriptures. And it is true that there has been some oppression of some people, but the greater truth is that it's led to, to great blessing for many people. Because there's many people who've come to know the good laws of the Lord and whose lives have been structured according to those good laws. And some people have even come to know the Lord himself as the, as the gospel spread over this world. Or another way this, this victim mentality it leads to some delusion is that many people think of themselves as victims and they absolve themselves of all responsibility. So they think to themselves that other people have oppressed and exploited me and so I get a free pass. And they think to themselves it's okay to be angry or to be selfish or to be manipulative or to be greedy because of what's happened to me. And the Lord says it doesn't work that way. The Lord says, I will hold to account everyone who's ever sinned against you. And he also says, I will hold you to account for everything that you have ever done. 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Are you want another grand delusion, brothers and sisters, is the materialism of our world today. Our world is locked in this materialistic, secular perspective. The one who has the most toys wins. And so people are, they're bent on greed. They're bent on covetousness and a love of money. And it's really quite a vortex that threatens to suck us into the same same kind of thinking. These are, these are ways in which the spiritual forces of darkness seek to lead us away from God, brothers and sisters. And the real danger is that as you adopt these kinds of thinking, that you allow some sin in your life. And it sits there and it festers. In Ephesians 4, verse 26, the Lord warns against that. He says, if you allow that to happen, he says, the spiritual forces of darkness, they manipulate that to gain power in your life. 
So in Ephesians 4, the Lord's talking in the context of anger. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. So he's saying, if you do let the sun go down on your anger, if you do stew over sin, if you allow sin to sit in your heart, then the devil gets a foothold. It's kind of like this malware. It breaches your defenses. It makes its way through the firewall. He gets a foothold into your inner life and it takes power over your inner life and it leads all sorts of sin in all sorts of different ways. And he leads you to be estranged from God. Well, I want to use these examples just to, to give you a bit of a sense of the spiritual war that we're involved with, brothers and sisters. Every single one of us is involved in a war. The devil, he attacks us. And he seeks to lead us astray. Verse 12, when God says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, then the word that he uses here for struggle is, is wrestling. You are wrestling. That's a really instructive image. You're wrestling against spiritual forces of darkness. It's close, hand-to-hand, tiring combat that you're engaged in. They seek to attack you and they seek to take you down. And so the vision that God gives us of the Christian life, it's a vision where you're engaged in a war against those who hate you and seek to drag you down. You know, sometimes we think of the Christian life that when you become a Christian and when you know God, then it's easy sailing. Then God is on your side, the Lord loves you, he's going to bring you into the kingdom, you're doing the right thing, and you're going to end up in glory. And it's an easy road. But the Lord says here, if you're a Christian, then you're going to be engaged in spiritual war that the devil and his demons are going to attack you. They're going to seek to lead you away from God. You can wonder, where does it leave you, brothers and sisters? Does it mean you're going to go down? Do you have the strength to resist the devil and his demons? You know, if it was a contest, him and us, then we would lose hands down. The Lord gave the devil the opportunity to attack Job. And it's not as if there was any kind of struggle for the devil. It's not as if he had a hard time doing something to Job. No, in one day, Job lost everything. When the Lord allowed him again, then in one day, Job was in horrific suffering. He was in, in very poor health. And so if, it's, if the struggle was between us and the devil, then we would lose. The whole point to this passage is that it's not between us and the devil. The good news is that we're never expected to stand in our own strength. Our text starts off, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Paul's reminding you, he's saying, you have union with Christ. You are bound to the Lord. He is your Lord and you're united to him. And his strength is given to you. He uses his strength to protect you and to guide you and keep you safe and to bring you into the kingdom. That's the whole message of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. You are made alive with Christ. You are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And then in that context, he goes back one chapter, and in chapter 119, he talks about how he seated Christ in the heavenly places, far above all rule and power and authority and dominion and every name that can be named. Those are all references to spiritual forces of darkness. 
Christ has been seated in heaven above all the forces of darkness. He has authority over every single one of them. And now he says to you, you are in Christ. You are seated with him in the heavenly places. And so the devil's got nothing on you because you believe in Jesus Christ and you depend upon him and you look to him. And so the foundational calling of our text, brothers and sisters, is to remember who you are in Christ. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's actually quite interesting. If you look at the the words that Paul uses here in this text to encourage us to be strong in the Lord, he actually piles up four Greek terms that he uses for strength, for power. Be strong, endumazo, it's this word, dunamis is the root of it, and you hear the word dynamite. So God, he has this, this power, this dynamite, and you're called to, to draw on that, that power. Well, you're called to be strong in the Lord. The word Lord is the word for ruler or master. Be strong in the one who is the ruler, who is the master. Be strong in the strength of his might. The word for strength there refers to possession of a force or a strength that gives supremacy or control. And the word for might, it refers to exceptional capability. So what Paul's saying is he piles up these words on top of each other. He's saying, the Lord has incredible power. God's power is dynamite. And he is the supremacy. And he is the ruler and master. And he has this exceptional ability to accomplish whatever he sets out to do. And so our job as his people is to look to him and to trust him and to rely upon him. Well, the devil and his demons, they have power over the lives of unbelievers. An unbeliever is literally powerless in the face of the devil. But you have a new identity in Christ, brothers and sisters. You share in him. And Christ uses his power on your behalf. It's quite striking. Paul prayed first in chapter 1 that you would know that power. And he gets back to it in chapter 3. He prays again for the Ephesians. He prays that they would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God for them. And that they would understand that God is able and willing to do far more for them than all they can ask or imagine. He's willing to do more for you than anything you can ask or imagine. That's quite something. Think about that. God has the power and he loves you and he's going to save you. And so he calls you to remember who he is and what he's done. So there may be sin, maybe you're caught in lust or in greed or in pride or in selfishness. Maybe you've adopted a defeatist attitude that there's no hope that you're ever going to change, that this is your life, this was the life of your parents and this is the way it's always going to be for you. Well, don't forget about your new identity. Don't forget that you are in Christ and that God loves you for Jesus' sake. God has already defeated Satan. And Satan doesn't have the final say in your life. And the time to remember it, brothers and sisters, is in the difficult times of life. There's times where you face health concerns. There's times where you have significant worries for your family, that things are not well in your family. 
There's going to be times we have conflict in relationships. We have setback in work. We have profound struggle with sin. And in those moments, the devil attacks you. You get into this really dark place in your thinking. And you feel really alone. And you can feel that there's no hope and nothing's ever going to change. And it's in that moment that you call to mind your identity in Christ. That you remember that you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And that he has the power. And that he will rescue you. That he loves to do so. That it is his joy to bring you into the kingdom. Well, this morning, God invites you to the table, brothers and sisters, because he wants you to know this. He says, come forward, eat the bread, drink the wine. Know that you have communion with me. Know that I love you. Know that I have forgiven your sins. The devil can attack you. He can say, you've done all these things wrong. But I say, I forgive you. And that there is no guilt. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I say that I'll give my spirit to you. And I'll make you into new people. So that you can do what's good and right before the Lord. And so come to the table. Be assured of your union with Christ. And next time we're going to take a look at, at how the Lord actually works it out. We're going to see how we put on the armor of God. So that we actually engage in this struggle against the forces of darkness. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, let's sing together. We're going to sing of the, the power of God that he uses for his people, especially verse 8 of Psalm 68. It, it refers to Jesus Christ, that, that Christ has defeated the devil and his demons. So Psalm 68, the verses 1 and 8.
We now have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. To that end, let's first read together the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. If you want to follow along, you can find that on page 603 of your book of praise. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper has been instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of this institution as described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 29. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, excuse me, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. In order that we may now celebrate this holy supper of the Lord to our comfort, we must first rightly examine ourselves. We must also use it as Christ intended it, namely to his remembrance. True self-examination consists of the following three parts. First, let everyone consider his sins and accursedness, so that he, detesting himself, may humble himself before God. For the wrath of God against sin is so great that he could not leave it unpunished, but has punished it in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, by the bitter and shameful death on the cross. Second, let everyone search his heart, whether he also believes the sure promise of God that all his sins are forgiven him only for the sake of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is freely given him as his own, as if he himself had fulfilled all righteousness. Third, let everyone examine his conscience, whether it is his sincere desire to show true thankfulness to God with his entire life, and laying aside all enmity, hatred, and envy to live with his neighbor in true love and unity. God will certainly receive in grace all who are thus minded and count them worthy to partake of the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who do not feel this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and the Apostle Paul, we admonish all those who know themselves to be guilty of the following offensive sins to abstain from the table of the Lord. And we declare to them that they have no part in the kingdom of Christ. All who refuse to trust in the Lord alone, or who serve him in their own manner. All who abuse the name of the Lord by cursing or in any other way. All who do not diligently attend the worship services and who despise the proclamation of God's word or the sanctity of the sacraments. All who are disobedient to their parents or to others in authority over them. All who violate human life or cherish hatred against their neighbor and refuse to be reconciled to him. All who either within or outside of holy wedlock do not keep their bodies pure. 
All who by stealing, greed, or extravagance lead a worldly life. All liars, backbiters, and slanderers. Briefly all who either in word or conduct show themselves to be unbelieving by leading an offensive life. While they persist in their sins, they shall not partake of this table which Christ has ordained for his believers. Otherwise, their judgment and condemnation would be the heavier. But all this, beloved brothers and sisters, is not meant to discourage broken and contrite hearts, as if only those who are without sin may attend the table of the Lord. For we do not come to this supper to declare that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves. On the contrary, we seek our life outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we acknowledge that we are dead in ourselves. We also are aware of our many sins and shortcomings. We do not have perfect faith. We do not serve God with such zeal as he requires. Daily, we have to contend with the weakness of our faith and the evil desires of our flesh. Yet by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are heartily sorry for these shortcomings, a desire to fight against our unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of God. Therefore, we may be fully assured that no sin or weakness which remains in us against our will can prevent us by being received by God in grace and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly food and drink. Let's now consider for what purpose the Lord has instituted his supper, namely that we should use it in remembrance of him. We are to remember him in the following manner. First of all, let's fully trust that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent by the Father into this world according to the promises made from the beginning to the fathers in the Old Testament, and that he assumed our flesh and blood. From the beginning of his incarnation to the end of his life on earth, he bore for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished eternally. By his perfect obedience, he has for us fulfilled all the righteousness of God's law. We remember in particular that the weight of the wrath of God caused by our sins pressed out of him sweat like drops of blood falling on the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he was bound that he might free us from our sins. He suffered countless insults that we might never be put to shame. Though innocent, he was condemned to death that we might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God. He even let his blessed body be nailed to the cross that he might cancel the bond which stood against us because of our sins. By all this, he has taken our curse upon himself that he might fill us with his blessing. On the cross, he humbled himself in body and soul to the very deepest shame and anguish of hell. Then he called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? that we might be accepted by God and nevermore be forsaken by him. Finally, by his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the new and eternal testament, the covenant of grace, when he said, it is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, during the last Passover, instituted the Holy Supper. He gave the bread and the cup to his disciples in remembrance of him. He taught us to understand that as often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we are reminded and assured of his hearty love and faithfulness towards us. It is a sure pledge that he has given his body and shed his blood for us. 
Otherwise, we would have suffered eternal death. He nourishes and refreshes our hungry and thirsty souls with his crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life, as certainly as this bread is broken before our eyes and this cup is given to us and we eat and drink in remembrance of him. From this institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we learn that he directs our faith and trust to his perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross. It is the only ground for our salvation. Thereby he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. For by his death, he has removed the cause of our eternal hunger and misery, which is sin, and obtained for us the life-giving spirit. By this spirit, who dwells in Christ as the head and in us as his members, we have true communion with him, and we share in all his riches, life eternal, righteousness, and glory. By the same spirit, we are also united in true brotherly love as members of one body. For the Apostle Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As one bread is baked out of many grains, and one wine is pressed out of many grapes, so we all, incorporated in Christ by faith, are together one body. For the sake of Christ, who so exceedingly loved us first, we shall now love one another, and shall show this to one another, not just in words, but also in deeds. Finally, Christ has commanded us to celebrate the Holy Supper until he comes. We receive at his table a foretaste of the abundant joy which he has promised, and we look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb, when he will drink the wine new with us in the kingdom of his Father. Let us rejoice and give him the glory, for the marriage feast of the Lamb is coming. May the almighty, heavenly God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ help us in this through his Holy Spirit. Amen. To receive all this, let's now humble ourselves before God in true faith, before God and call upon him in true faith. <clears throat> Merciful God and Father, we thank you that in this supper we cherish the blessed memory of the bitter death of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit so that we may entrust ourselves more and more to your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant that our contrite hearts may be nourished with his true body and blood, yes, with him who is the only heavenly bread, that we may not live in our sins, but Christ in us and we in him. Let us so truly be partakers of the new and everlasting testament, the covenant of grace, that we do not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, never more imputing to us our sins, but providing us with all things for body and soul as your dear children and heirs. Grant us your grace, that we may take up our cross joyfully, deny ourselves, and confess our Savior. Let us in all tribulation await our Lord Jesus Christ, who will come from heaven to change our mortal body to be like his glorious body and to take us to himself forever. Hear us, Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you're invited to now rise and let's now make a profession of our Catholic faith. And let's do so with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn one.
Brothers and sisters, in order that we may now be nourished with Christ, the true heavenly bread, we must not cling with our hearts to the outward symbols of bread and wine, but lift our hearts on high, in heaven, where Christ our advocate is at the right hand of his heavenly Father. Let's not doubt that we will be nourished and refreshed in our souls with his body and blood through the working of the Holy Spirit as truly as we receive the holy bread and drink in remembrance of him. In preparation for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, let's sing together from hymn 59, verse 1. And all confessing members of the congregation are then invited to the Lord's table. And we also invite as visitors, as those who have provided an attestation of their faith to consistory, that's brother and sister Jack and Alice Bruning from the Free Reformed Church of Albany. Welcome here as well. Then on top of that, God also teaches us in 1 Corinthians 11 that the Lord's Supper is a communal celebration that must be kept holy and promote the unity of faith within the congregation. It's for this reason that attendance at the Lord's Supper is, is closely supervised. And so if you're not a member of the congregation or announced visitor, we ask that you do not come forward to join in eating and drinking at the table at this time. You have to understand that in asking this, we're not passing a judgment on your faith or your relationship with Christ, because we can't ascertain that. Instead, we do so because we have the responsibility to ensure that the guests are true believers, that they're faithful in their adherence to the Reformed faith, and that they also lead a godly life. So in the meantime, we, we encourage you to remain with us. May the Holy Spirit encourage and edify you as you witness the celebration and also as you hear the word. So let's now sing together. From hymn 59, verse 1.
Brothers and sisters, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it all of you. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take some bread and, and eat. The cup of blessing for which we give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take some and drink. The, uh, the ones in the very middle are, are grape juice. I'd like to read a few passages with you this morning that speak about the power that the Lord has to help his people. Sometimes the enemies are physical enemies, um, but also times, um, you know, the, the enemies are, are of a spiritual nature. And we should also remember that oftentimes when the scripture speaks of how the Lord rescues his people from the physical enemies, this is imagery that's used to, to speak of how the Lord also rescues us from the spiritual forces of darkness. So we're going to read in the first place from Deuteronomy chapter 20, the verses 2 through 4. The Lord is instructing Moses when they get into the promised land that they are to war against their enemies. And then he says in verse 2, And when you draw near to battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Do not, sorry, let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Let's now sing together from hymn 53, verse 1.
Brothers and sisters, once again, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it all of you. Remember and believe that the, that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please help yourself. The cup of blessing for which we give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take some. Passage, the next passage I'd like to read with you is taken from Isaiah. It says in the liturgy sheet, Isaiah 41, and actually I should have put there, sorry, I should have put there Isaiah 40. So Isaiah 40, the verses 27 to 31. We're called to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And here in Isaiah 40, the Lord teaches us, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, And young men shall fall exhausted, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 53, verse 2.
Brothers and sisters, in Lord's Day 28 of the Heidelberg Catechism, the first question asks, how does the Lord's Supper signify and seal to you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and all his gifts? And it says, in this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and drink this cup in remembrance of him. And with this command, he gave these promises. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me and the cup given to me, so surely was his body offered for me and his blood poured out for me on the cross. And second, as surely as I receive from the hand of minister and taste with my mouth the bread and wine, the bread and cup of the Lord, as sure signs of Christ's body and blood, so surely does he himself nourish and refresh my soul to eternal life with his crucified body and shed blood. And so that's the reason we often break the bread and pour out a little bit of wine. It's as you see these things, you may be assured that this was done for you and that you share in Christ. So once again, brothers and sisters, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take each from it, all of you, remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take and eat. Once again, as you watch the wine being poured out, you know that Christ's body was, or his blood was shed for you. The cup of blessing for which we give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take some and drink. The next passage I'd like to read with you is taken from Colossians 1. In Colossians 1, we're going to read the verses 11 to 14. So first, Paul prays that they may be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding, that they may walk in the way manner in a manner worthy of the Lord. Then he continues in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's sing together from hymn 53, verse 3.
Brothers and sisters, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take and eat. The cup of blessing for which we give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take. The last passage I'd like to read with you is taken from Jude, Jude 1, verses 24-25, page 1217. Jude 1, the last two verses of the chapter there. God's word says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's sing to the praise of this God, hymn 53, verse 4.
Beloved in the Lord, since the Lord has now nourished our, soul, nourished our souls at his table, let us together praise his holy name. Let everyone say in his heart, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us as our sins deserve, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Therefore my heart and my mouth shall profess the praise of the Lord from now on and forevermore. Amen. Before we call upon the Lord in thanksgiving, brothers and sisters, I'll just note that there's some members of our congregation that we're going to remember specifically. In our prayer this, this morning, we're going to remember our brother John Jansen. Brother Jansen has been hospitalized this past week. He's in a lot of pain, and also he's not able to eat anything any longer. So we'll ask the Lord to, to bless the work of the doctors to help him and to also give him peace during this time to relieve the pain. Our brother John Mahoney was also hospitalized again this past week because of a blood infection. So we'll pray that the doctors help, help him and, and also give him, that God would give him the peace of Christ. And also our brother Trent Courthouse was hospitalized this past week because he had a stroke. Um, so he had quite a bit of loss of, of use of his left side. It's quite a bit better now. But in the meantime, the doctors still need to find out why that happened. And so we'll pray that the Lord would bless the work of the doctors there. And we'll also remember Fairhaven. They're currently in a complete lockdown. And because there's many, mes- many residents in the home who have COVID. And so we'll pray that God would please be near to them and also help the, uh, the staff and volunteers. And we'll also thank the Lord for the success of the Eucalypt Camp, that they could have a blessed time together, and that God has granted his grace to them once again. Let us pray to God. Merciful God and Father, We thank you that in your boundless mercy, you have given us your only begotten son as our mediator. Father, we praise you that he is the sacrifice for our sins, that he is our food and drink to life eternal. We thank you that you give us a true faith through which we may share in such great benefits. Through your son, you've instituted the Holy Supper for the strengthening of our faith. We earnestly ask you, faithful God and Father, that by your Holy Spirit, this celebration may lead to our daily increase in true faith. 
that it may lead to fellowship with Christ, your beloved Son. We also pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us through the proclamation of the gospel. We're so thankful to know that we are your people and that we are in Christ, that we're seated with him in the heavenly realms, and that Jesus Christ has authority over all the spiritual powers of darkness. Father, in those moments when we are attacked by the spiritual forces of darkness, help us to remember who we are in Christ. Help us to strengthen ourselves in you and in the power that you have. Help us to realize that sin does not define us, that our sins do not have the final say in our lives, but that we are defined by our relationship with Jesus Christ, and that it is the Spirit of Christ who is the final say over what happens to us. Thank you for your love for us in Christ, and thank you for your help in the spiritual war that we're engaged. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that you would sustain us through to the end. We ask that you be near us in those, those difficult moments of life. There are some members of our congregation who are facing serious assault, spiritual assault during this time. And we pray that you would be a father to them, that you surround them with a sense of your love and your nearness, that they may know of your power, and that they may realize that Jesus Christ loves them and he has the strength to rescue them. Father, we put our faith in you and we trust you. And we ask that for your sake, you would help us. And we also pray for a special measure of your grace for our brother Jansen. We ask, Lord, that you be near to him as he faces this very serious illness. Please bless the work of the doctors that they may know how to relieve the pain. Please give our brother relief, Lord, and please carry him. We thank you that he may know that he, that he is secure in your love for him in Christ that he may look forward to an eternal life together with you. At the same time, Lord, we pray that you would sustain him through this time, that you be near to him and that you comfort him and that you help him, that you also be near to their family, that you would surround our sister with a sense of your peace and that you comfort the family as well. We also pray in a similar way for our brother John Mahoney, Lord. Once again, our brother's in the hospital. This time he has trouble with his blood, some kind of uh, a fungal infection. We ask that you would please... Bless the work of the doctors again to help our brother. We're so grateful for the faith that he has in you and security that he has in your promises. Please surround him with a sense of your nearness. Please comfort him and give him your peace. And please also, Lord, be near to his wife as well. And please grant her the, the peace of our Lord Jesus. Father, it's near the end of our lives that we, that we face the breakdown of the body. And we ask that you be near to all those who are in this place. We think of some of the, the other very senior members of our church. We we think that of the, the difficulties that they face, all the limitations, the pain, and the, the loss of hearing, the loss of communion with others because of that, the forgetfulness. Please be a father to your children and care for them. Grateful that, that a brother to hope could be with us this morning to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Pray that you also sustain him, Lord, in his old age. Please also be near to, to him and to the rest of the residents at Fairhaven. We ask that you would comfort them and that you help them. We pray that those who are sick are able to get over COVID with any significant side effects. We also pray, Lord, that you be near to the staff and to the volunteers, that they may have health and strength for the work, that you also watch out for their families. It's a time where they have to make a significant commitment to the work. We pray that you, you bless those who are at home looking after the children, and that you take care of their families and you protect them. Father in heaven, we also wish to entrust to your throne of grace of Brother Trent Courthouse. I want to ask that you would please be near to him. It's quite a shocking thing that a young man has a stroke 
It's not normal. We, we ask that you would please bless the doctors so that they're able to ascertain why this happened. We pray that you comfort our brother. We're thankful that it's gone better for him, that he has a lot of recovery of his, his movement on the left side. And we pray, Lord, that you continue to grant a blessing and healing, that it would go well with our brother. We also ask, Lord, that you use this to draw him near to you, that he may seek your face, and that he may be comforted by your promises. We also wish to thank you, Lord, for the Eucalypt camp this past week. We're grateful for, for those who are involved with that work. Thank you so much for the residents. They have a time where they have a lot of joy together and where they have a lot of opportunity to, to do different activities. Thankful also for all those who went along in, in serving and helping. And we're grateful for the blessing that you gave. Lord, we ask that you would continue to be near to, to the work being done at Eucalypt, also at Worthy Hands. Please supply a sense of, of your peace and comfort to those who, who are involved in this work and, and to those who, who need the help. Thank you for, for being our Father. and Thank you that we can cooperate together in, in supporting those who have special needs. And we pray for your special grace for them. Father in heaven, we also wish to ask you that you would please be near to each one of us in the other circumstances of our lives. You know each one of us. You know the, the struggles we face and the joys that we have. Grant that we can have a blessed day today. That we may have a day of rest and, and encouragement as we reflect on the promises that you extend to us in word and sacrament. We pray all these things in the forgiveness of our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you now have the opportunity to serve God with your thank offerings. The collection this morning is for the, the Ministry of Mercy, and specifically the collection is going to be used for, for sharing the hope of the gospel with others at under his wings and for helping those who, who need assistance. But after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 55, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
Receive now the blessing of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.